The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Ecclesia dads, there's a lot I could tell you. Um, I do have to tell you, I brag on you a lot when I go other places. I brag on the ways that you care for kids in the room. Um, I brag on the fact um, that the diaper changer in the men's room broke before the one in the women's room broke. <laughs> Which means you're, you're changing some serious diapers around here and I'm grateful and I see it, I see it often. And uh, none of you are perfect. Uh, but today, I feel really blessed. Um, well, first let me tell you, um, my dad has been uh, pastoring the same church for 33 years. And in the early days of Ecclesia, we used to steal him away often. He would come preach for me. And then we started piling up the services. And for a while, we got like six services and he was getting older and he was like, hey, no thanks, I'm out. <laughs> and. Uh, a few months ago, he retired after leading that same church for 33 years, and we get him back. So, um, thank you. we're really grateful that it frees him up in retirement to come do this. And uh, so he's gotten to do the full experience of our new schedule now, and was here at nine and West Side at 10 and back here at 11. And now we get to catch our breath and just be with you. And I've asked dad just to share uh, some wisdom for us today on... Uh, how, what do we need to know as we try to care for kids well? And many of you are in the room, we got a lot of babies in utero. We got a lot of dads that have been fighting this good fight well uh, for a long time. What words of encouragement? And all I can tell you, nobody's perfect, but I will tell you, Dad, you've been the best dad I know of Thanks and so. that I've encountered. Thanks, so. And uh, I'm really grateful just to have him share with you today. It's been a real blessing in the other two services. So. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, son. It's, it's a great privilege to be back at Ecclesia. Uh, and I tell you what, this back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back service stuff, uh, I did that for 10 years uh, at Magnolia. This is hard. No wonder you're looking older. <laughs> I, I, I understand uh, that. But I want, I want to do something at the beginning that I did in the course of the message uh, in the first two services, and that's introduced Chris's mom, Cindy C., the best mom on the planet right there. So uh, glad that she's... Uh, it's a little bit ironic, really, uh, son, and you know this, of course, that I would be here to talk about uh, being a dad because I didn't have a dad growing up. Uh, I didn't know my father. In fact, there's only one picture uh, of me and my father uh, together. And that was on the day I was born, uh, May 31st, 1950. That was in Tokyo, Japan. And let me give you a little bit of uh, our family background history so you'll understand. That's my dad, Earl Martin C. Uh, both my mom and dad were from Texas. Uh, my dad grew up in Waxahachie, uh, Texas. My mom in Houston but they were both in the United States Army during World War II. My mom was a nurse and my dad was an infantry officer, fought in the Battle of the Bulge and they both survived the war. And after the war, they came back to Texas, they got married. Uh, my dad then went back to Texas A&M and finished his degree. Yeah, they're not as loud of whoopers as the first two services, yeah. but... The Aggies yeah, get up early. Aggies, I, I got it. Uh, he loved A&M, finished his degree, and then 
he re-enlisted in the United States Army to become a part of what they called the occupation force in Japan. Uh, after we had conquered Japan and, uh, and the Axis powers in, in World War II, we helped Japan rebuild their country. And so there was a military presence there in Japan. And so uh, he was a part of that. My mom was there with him. And I was born in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, anybody out there watch the old TV show MASH? Any, anybody? Yeah, great, greatest show ever. Well, they will often refer to Tokyo General. Well, Tokyo General Hospital was a real hospital in 1950. As a matter of fact, Chris took uh, me and his brothers several years ago on a trip to Japan and we went to see if there was anything left of Tokyo General Hospital where I was born. And uh, there was only one building left from the original hospital and it was the chapel. And we got to go in there and pray and it, 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 was, it was a great thing. But so that, that's where I was born. Uh, Tokyo, Japan, May 31st, 1950. Well, less than a month after my birth, the communist North Koreans broke across the 38th parallel and invaded South Korea. And so the United States and other UN countries, but primarily our country, sent military forces to try to slow down that invasion before they took over uh, all of South Korea, which was a free nation uh, in and of itself. A and the problem, as my dad and his uh, battalion and other forces landed at Incheon and then fought in what's known as the Pusan perimeter, uh, was that all they had uh, for weaponry was leftover World War II weapons because they were not planning on going to war. The North Koreans invaded with state-of-the-art uh, Russian weaponry. And so our forces, including my father, were just like lambs to the slaughter. And, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them were killed, including my dad, uh, less than a month after they landed in Korea on uh, July 24th. Uh, he was killed. So that's the only picture that I have. So I never knew my father except through pictures uh, and through stories from uh, family members. But I wanted nothing more growing up than to someday be a good father. Uh, no fathers are perfect, but to be a, a good father, a godly father. And so God blessed me. I, I met and married a, a pastor's daughter, wonderful godly woman. And at, at a very young age, we started our family. And uh, this next picture shows our first three children. And uh, you might recognize the little guy who has his arms around my neck there. Uh, that's your pastor. Uh, he, he was littler and had a lot more hair back my, then. My head is basically the same size there that it is today. So <laughs> I finally grew into the massive head. Yeah, yeah, you were rocking the mullet back then, yeah. son. Just, uh, but uh, God blessed us with two more children. And so eventually we had five children and ultimately 20 grandchildren. And uh, one of whom is sitting right there, Christian. And uh, so God really blessed me with the privilege of being a father. And having grown up in the faith, 
from the very beginning of fatherhood, I asked myself, what is it that I want to pass on to my children? What do I want to teach them? What do I want to show them? What do I want to leave to them as a legacy? And as I look back on those years of fatherhood, I've, I've jotted down four things that I think were central to what I hoped would be my legacy, I, and I pray is my legacy to my children, and then ultimately to my grandchildren and the other generations to follow. And so I want, dads, I wanna share these with you. Uh, you could probably have four more or, or more than that that you could share with me, but, but these are my four that, that kind of came to the, the top as I began to think and pray about this. And the first one that I wanna share is the most important of the four. So if you're gonna go to sleep, wait till after the first one, okay? And, uh, and here, the most important thing is- tell us, tell us the stories first of the struggles of being a dad, of the imperfections. Okay, I can do that. Okay. I, I can do that. Um, I was not a perfect father and made a few mistakes along the way. Uh, one story that, that I can think of was uh, when our kids were little, we went to, to church as Baptists all the time. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night, I mean, all the time. And I'll never forget one Sunday night, we were serving at Memorial Baptist in Baytown. I was the worship pastor there. And uh, we, we had uh, four of our kids by that time. And anytime you went to church with four kids, uh, trying to get everything together and get home after church was a challenge. And uh, Cindy and I had come in two different cars because we came at different times. And so uh, after church, we gathered stuff up, headed home. We lived about 15 minutes from the church. And we got home and Cindy looked at me and said, uh, where's Brian? And I said, you brought him home. And she said, no, you brought him home. And we looked at each other and realized neither one of us brought him home. He had fallen asleep during church as some of your children will do today. And, and so by accident, we had left him asleep on the pew uh, there in that 1500 seat massive auditorium. So we rushed back to church. I finally found the light switch and flipped on the lights. And thankfully there he was still asleep on the pew and uh, and we brought it on today they call cps on me and put for, me in jail for sure for sure okay. i i got one more story then okay? okay uh this one involves your pastor uh when brian was learning to write his name he he kind of got the letters a little bit reversed and instead of bri which was as far as he'd gotten he was writing B-I-R, and we were trying to teach him the correct way to, to write his name, but he'd always write B-I-R. Well, we walked in, in their bedroom uh, one day, and on the wall in paint, one wall all the way around is B-I-R, 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 painted on the wall. And we thought, okay, we, we've got to teach Brian a lesson here. So we pulled him aside and said, son, you can't write your name on the wall. You, you know, this, this is not acceptable. So you're gonna have to help us clean it up. So all you need to do is admit that what you did was wrong and help us clean it up. 
but he started throwing a fit saying, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. And we thought, okay, more important than the name on the wall is to teach him to tell the truth. And we kept pressing and, kept, and he wouldn't. And so finally we put him in time out and just hoped that maybe we could somehow teach him that lesson later on. Well, Cindy walked past the bedroom door later that evening and she heard your pastor say to his brother, ha ha ha, I got you in trouble. <laughs> and it wasn't Brian that wrote B-I-R, it was Chris that wrote B-I-R. It was almost the perfect crime. It was so close. And to be clear, I have re-apologized to my brother again today. Uh, for the pathological behavior of a <laughs> six-year-old. So we were always giving it back and forth to each other, right? And like today, raising kids, never easy. Always messy. I, I could tell a few more stories, yeah, yeah, no, but that's I probably to get to that's the scripture. Get so, those. Okay. Here's the legacy that I wanted to pass on, and here's the number one most important thing, dads, for us. Help your children settle where they spend eternity. Help them settle where they spend eternity. I want, I want to read some scriptures to you today. I'm going to read from the voice translation. Are you familiar with this translation? I'm familiar with okay, it. Okay. Uh, and, and it's so clear, and I want to start with the most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3.16, and read a couple of verses. So, so track with me on this, okay? For God expressed his love for the world in this way. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not face everlasting destruction, but will have everlasting life. Here's the point. God didn't send his son into the world to judge it. Instead, he is here to rescue a world headed towards certain destruction. No one who believes in him has to fear condemnation. Yet condemnation is already the reality for everyone who refuses to believe because they reject the name of the only Son of God. Now dads, there are lots of things that you can teach your children. Uh, maybe you're one of those guys that can build anything and fix anything. I'm not one of those guys, so sorry, son, I couldn't teach you any of that stuff. By the way, if you're that kind of dad, I hate you. But anyway, <laughs> maybe that's a talent you can teach your children. Or maybe you can teach them how, how to, to, to fix mechanical things. Christian's brother Solomon is an, just a genius with that, he, but he didn't get it from me or for his dad. But maybe you're one of those dads that can teach your your son or your daughters how to, to fix mechanical things. Or certainly you can teach them good ethics and morals and manners and citizenship and on and on. All those are good things. They're important things. They're the building blocks of life. But they have one thing in common, one deficiency. They're temporary. They have an expiration date. When this life's journey is over, those things are done. But there's one thing that you can help your child know that lasts forever. If the Bible is true when it says that we're created in God's image and we have an eternal soul, then that means we're gonna live forever somewhere. 
And the scripture says that we can live forever in heaven, not if we're religious enough or moral enough or, or, or good enough or whatever enough. None of those things can, can get us there. Only faith in Jesus Christ, whoever believes in him. So of all the things, dads, that you need to help your children know is where they're gonna spend eternity. And what matters there is whether or not they put their faith, it's not about your faith, they put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So Ecclesia dads, practically, right? How do, how do we get there? When we dedicate uh, a child or a baby or baptize, like we will ask you as parents, like do you pledge to raise your child in the church, to teach them and talk to them about the ways of Jesus, to model for them the kind of love that Jesus demonstrates. How, how do we do that? And this is what I would tell you. Primarily, it will be about vulnerability in your spiritual journey, right? If you are the kind of dad who acts like you've got it figured out and it, your kids won't want to talk to you about these things, but if we're vulnerable and we share, and one of the reasons that my dad has been a spiritual guide and resource to me is that he's been open in that process, right? And someone I want to talk to. And so share our failures and our struggles and walk together. And in that, we'll build that kind of relationship. Hopefully and prayerfully, it takes a while with our kids, right? But ultimately, we get to walk with our kids in that way. And the second point leads back to helping us in that as yeah, well. Yeah, you, you talked about the ways of Jesus. How, how do we know the ways of Jesus? Well, there is one source that will never lie, and it's the Scripture. And so Dad's legacy point number two for me was to teach our children that the Scripture is true and trustworthy. I want to read you a few verses. They're the words of the Apostle Paul written to a young man named Timothy that was like a son to Paul. We don't, we don't know if Paul had any biological sons, but we do know that Timothy, he called him my son. And so here's what Paul said to Timothy about the scripture. Second Timothy three, beginning with verse 14. He said to young Timothy, so surely you ought to stick to what you know is certain. All you have learned comes from people you know and trust because since childhood you have known the holy scriptures which enable you to be wise and lead to salvation through faith in Jesus the anointed. All of scripture is God breathed. In its inspired voice we hear useful teaching, rebuke, correction, instruction, and training for a life that is right, so that God's people may be up to the task ahead and have all they need to accomplish every good work. Now dads, here's why the scripture is so important. We live in a time that more than ever before, there are so many voices out there trying to tell our children what's right and what's wrong what's true and what's false, what's good and what's bad. I mean, it is a morass of confusion to hear all those voices. So what can they depend on? What can they believe? What can they go back to with confidence that will never lead them wrongly? And I say to you, it's the scripture. And so we tried our best to teach our children that the scripture was true and trustworthy. 
Now, there are some things, I, I, I need to make this clear. There are some things in scripture that are absolutely black and white clear, such as the deity of Christ, that Jesus was God in human form. By the way, do they say amen here? You have to work for it okay. to get it. It's... Jesus is God. Okay, I mean, that's clear in scripture. Uh, another one is salvation is by grace through faith alone. It's not about being religious. It's not about being moral. It's not about being uh, ethical, although those are good things maybe, but they're not the answer. It's faith in Jesus. So that those are black and white issues. The early church, and there are a few more, but the, the early church called those kind of issues the kerygma, the, the core of the Christian faith. And, and those we need to be in unity on. But, but then hear me say this, there's a whole range of other issues, a myriad of other life questions that our children are gonna need to figure out. And they're gonna need a source they can depend on. Not that, not that we tell them detail for detail what they're supposed to think. It's not about indoctrinating our children. It's about teaching them that on their own, with the mind God gave them, they can find the truth in the scripture. Uh, and the scripture is not about going to the Bible to find verses to affirm our preconceptions and opinions. It's about going to the scripture to say, I know you're God and you won't ever lie to me. And so I need to know what the truth is about this and be able for themselves to find those answers that they need. So Ecclesia, hear this clearly, right? It, the, the attempt to indoctrinate our kids and try to turn them into miniature versions of ourselves, right? It's a failed project. Like most of us have seen that. The reality of, of raising kids means by nature, we're gonna pass some things on and they're going to see the world differently. They're growing up in a different world. They're gonna read the Bible differently. That's okay. It would be great to pass on a faith that enables us to still engage the same scriptures. There's a million places, both theologically and in life, right? That we're gonna be different, right? My dad talked about, I got to take him and my brothers to Tokyo where he was born. I was so excited to eat the best food in the world, right? And my dad got, after one uh, meal with a really, very oily eel. He was done. He wanted McDonald's after every meal after that, right? And I, I couldn't handle it. Like McDonald's, we're in Tokyo, right? We're gonna be different people. We're not trying to replicate ourselves theologically or in practice. And it's in that diversity that we're really better. So pass on the important things and be flexible and don't be alarmed when our kids grow up to see things a little bit differently. Right, if they've got the core issues right, then they can discover on their own how to live life from, from the scripture. And then what's really important is out of the scriptures, it leads to how we actually live, which leads to the that, next point. That's right, and, and this is something that, that we tried to pass on to our kids, and it is to show them how to treat all people with love and respect. All people. Amen. People that you agree, yeah, amen, that's a good place for amen. People that you agree with, people that you passionately disagree with, people that you love and are close to, people who are, are mean and belligerent and so far off base you can't even 
imagine. But all people deserve to be treated with love and respect. That's what Jesus did. Uh, the woman at the well, uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery, uh, Zacchaeus, uh, Nicodemus, I mean, we could go on and on. Uh, even Judas, you know, Jesus treated all people with love and respect. Now that begins at home. I've got two passages here and I, I don't have time to read all of them. But the first one is from Ephesians chapter 6. And Ephesians 6, Paul talks about the home and the family. And it says, children, obey your parents because that pleases God. But then dads, I'm going to skip down, guys, to verse 4. Uh, and I love the way, Chris, you and the other voice translators uh, rendered this verse. Verse 4 of Ephesians 6. And fathers, do not drive your children mad. Don't drive them crazy. Don't be that iron-fisted father that won't ever listen but only wants to to pound what you want them to do and be into them. Don't drive your children mad, but look, but nurture them. Nurture them in the discipline and teaching that comes from the Lord. So love and respect, it starts in the family. But then Jesus didn't leave it there. Jesus took this love and respect idea all the way to the other end of the spectrum all the way to people who you would consider your enemies. And by the way, I think we live in the most contentious generation that's ever been on planet Earth, don't you? I mean, people just have so much animosity and hatred toward one another. Jesus said, that's not the way I want my followers to live. Uh, he said in Luke chapter six, uh, and these are amazing words from Jesus. Verse 27, Jesus said, if you're listening, here's my message. Keep loving your enemies, no matter what they do. Keep doing good to those who hate you. And I could go on to the rest of the, the, the passage, but Jesus is just hammering that home that we're love people who are different than us. People who don't even like us. Uh, Chris's friend Andy Stanley has a great sermon series I recommend. It's only two sermons called Mean People and What to Do About Them. And that, that's a great title. And he basically teaches about uh, how to love your enemies. Listen, there are mean people in this world. Yeah, that's worth an amen. Uh, there are mean people in this world, and you're going to encounter people who are going to be mean to you, who are going to disrespect you, who are going to mistreat you. How are you to respond? The natural inclination, the intuitive thing, is to get even with them, to treat them as bad or, as wor or worse than they treated you. But Jesus said there's a better way. There's a different way. Don't get even with them, get ahead. And you get ahead when you show everybody the love of Jesus. And by the way, if we wanna convince an ungodly world that our God is real, they'll only be convinced if they see the love of Jesus in us. That's the only way. All people treat them with respect and so love. So speaking specifically to fathers, right? Hear this passage in Ephesians 5. In religious circles too often, 
there is this sense that to be a father is supposed to be authoritative and strong and stern. And the word used there in Ephesians is really good, nurture. The main advice I give young dads over and over and over again when your babies are born is take that time, get those babies on your bare chest, watch a football game with them on your bare chest, nurture them. Get in that kind of environment where you are bonded with them. And your prayer is that that will last over a lifetime. And it's in that place, that nurturing gift that we have, men, that's the place that we find some of our greatest strengths. So one yeah, more. Yeah, and by the way, nurturing looks different as they get older. If you're still trying to hold Christian on your chest, you're in trouble. Yeah. But uh, it, it looks different the older our kids go. Okay, but w one more. And that is model and teach your children responsibility and servanthood. Uh, we live in an era in which responsibility is a lost virtue. And, and so many young people are growing up irresponsible. Uh, more and more are becoming dependent on somebody else to clean up their mess. Uh, Andy Stanley says every irresponsibility becomes somebody's responsibility. Does that make sense? Every irresponsibility in someone's life, somebody else has to be responsible for. So we need to model and teach our kids how to be responsible. Uh, Jesus taught in parables and he had one in Matthew 25. And again, I don't have time to read the whole passage, but here was the story Jesus told about a wealthy man who had three employees and he gave each of them a portion of his wealth. To one he gave five, uh, the King James and, and the voice both call it talents, but it's not like singing or playing. It's a unit of currency. One he gave five, to another he gave two, to the last one he gave one. The one he gave five went to work, invested it, doubled it. The one who had two invested it and doubled it. The one who only had one buried it and, and kept it but earned no profit. He was irresponsible. And that was Jesus' point. The first two, even though the amounts are different, the first two were responsible. The last one was irresponsible. And Jesus in the parable says to the first two, well done, let's celebrate. I'm gonna give you more because you've been responsible. The last one he condemned. Listen, we don't want our kids to be the ones who would stand before God at the end and hear him say, you have been irresponsible. We want to be and we want our kids to be the ones who Jesus would say, well done. Well done. You took what I gave you and you used it for good. You helped build up the kingdom of God. You helped people who were in need. You showed people the love of Jesus. You were generous with the time and the talents and the resources I gave you. We don't do that naturally. We have to be taught to do that. And we are to model and teach our children to be responsible and then to be a servant and to be generous. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.